The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. This is the Scream Kings podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkish. And this is Max George. And this podcast is the only thing left. I think this is our most vague movie reference of all time. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't get too many quotes from this, this particular movie. Um, but uh, today, we aren't just talking about a movie. We also have a very special guest on, Philip Fess. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'd love to. It's my favorite topic. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say. Who doesn't like talking about themselves, though? <laughs> That's true. It's hard to find people that don't love <laughs> speaking of themselves. Well, uh, I am in Las Vegas. I'm a huge horror film fanatic, and I think that's kind of how we crossed paths. I um, We actually, I would like to correct that, Philip. Oh, we okay. crossed paths on a dating app. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, let's be, I wasn't going to say anything, but if we're going to be that, uh, if we're going to pull back the layers, let's. Yes, we met on a dating app, Max. And uh, and then, as one does, uh, they read the profile, and I know uh, that I looked and saw you were a podcaster, and I was like, oh, hey. And then I started asking a million questions, and then next thing I know, I'm forcing myself onto your podcast. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Where was that safe word again? <laughs> I hope this all stays in. <laughs> we've we've been, been much more racy in the past, so this oh, is okay, fairly good. vanilla. So, Philip, one of the few things we didn't talk about on the dating app, though, was how you got into horror. Do you want to dive into that story? Sure. It actually kind of serves as a platform for a one-man show I developed, I had a father who was very, very um, fond of horror films. And as a child, he often, this was, again, I'm pushing 50, so I was growing up in a home that had a Betamax recorder and a VHS tape player, and this was the dawn of the home video revolution. And I don't know if it was something that he recorded off HBO when it was in its infancy, but he got a copy of the movie Halloween somehow. And he would have cocktail parties at the home, and he would show the opening moments of Halloween to our guests. Because at the time, it was considered to be a very jarring, cutting-edge sort of opening to, say, a horror film. and. I would sit through that movie on countless occasions and watch it and was horrified. And then, long story short, as I grew up, um, I began to dabble in horror films myself, and I began to like them. And it was a way for me to kind of connect with my father because we were close, but not extremely close like I am, say, with my mom. And 
we would talk about horror films. We would go see them together. It was something that we both cared for a lot. And a lot of times I think people underestimate kind of the the catharsis and the bonding power of horror movies. So that's great to hear. So Halloween, is that your favorite horror movie then? I would say yes. I think I probably mentioned I'm a fan of others, but it's it's the seminal film that I think, at least for me, kind of started me on my journey. It wasn't until I saw it many years later at a party myself, and I was... (laughs) working in Orlando, Florida at Disney World, and a bunch of us employees had the night off, and I was at a Halloween party, and someone popped it in, and I can just remember how nervous I was to watch it again, because I was thinking back to my childhood, you know, and how scared I was, and I watched it, and it was at that exact moment that I was like, hey, this isn't bad, this is entertaining, and just seeing everybody's reactions and the like, um, it was perfection all right well so then uh along those lines then um you know since halloween didn't necessarily hold the the same level of of uh totally terrifying you power uh what what are some uh horror movies that have really scared you i really liked insidious and lately i know there's a lot of buzz about it and i know you've seen it but um this group out of the uk created a film called host have stunning movie yeah i really enjoyed it it's an hour long and uh it kind of compartmentalizes everything and just kind of trims all the fat and throws a bunch of scares at you that you'll miss the first run through so it's only on subsequent viewings that i've grown to appreciate it even more i want to ask what scared you about insidious i love the insidious franchise i think (laughs) they do a lot of things right but i also think they do a lot of things wrong is there a moment or a feeling you get when you watch Insidious that you can tell us a little bit about? Sure, just the opening titles. <laughs> when the music alone is jarring. Yeah, I would say that, that that title itself is a jump scare in a big way. Yeah, I remember seeing it in a in a theater with a friend and we sat in the back row and just the titles uh, thrown up on the screen with the with the jarring music alone. That said, though, I really kind of favored the character of the old woman that stalks the young boy and I guess the father too. Uh, for some reason, that character really resonated with me, and unfortunately, I think she got a little watered down in the sequel. Agreed. Well, she was even more hor- horrific in the sequel, but not in a way that I was really excited about. <laughs> uh, I think that's fair. <laughs> so, Philip, uh, something that is really cool, I think, that you do is your kind of credentials slash resume of horror is incredibly diverse. Can you dive in and tell us kind of what you do in the world of horror and movies and, and, and just kind of... Give us your resume. <laughs> sure, I'd be happy to, and I might have to look at my notes, but it's just uh, within these last few months where I've really taken a deep dive, as you said, into kind of diversifying my portfolio a little bit. One thing that I started a few years ago, as I mentioned before, was my one-man show, and in it um, I take elements of my life and liken them to scenes from horror movies. So I, it's called Philoween. And I am working on the third iteration of it, which should, knock on wood, be streaming this October. 
that said, that show was based on a book I wrote, which I only got around to publishing just within the last few months and is also available on Amazon. And that's kind of just the tip of the iceberg. Well, let our hearts go on and (laughs) tell us more, Phil. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Only if we underscore this with a Celine song will I continue. (laughs) If you want to pay her the royalties, (laughs) welcome that. I'll I'll get a bad MIDI version. (laughs) That's fine. (laughs) She's a Vegas mainstay, but I think, did she retire? I don't even know. Is she still alive? Who knows? (laughs) It's COVID. Oh, yeah. Nobody knows. It's true. Uh, I also write for or contribute to a website called Rise Up Daily. Again, it just manifested during our current lockdown situation where uh, I got introduced to uh, a contributing editor of that site, and I've begun writing uh, movie reviews. Uh, That's another thing I do. Other than that, I'm pretty prolific on YouTube and create a bunch of what I call very (laughs) lo-fi videos. (laughs) But lately I've begun dabbling in doing improv online and have just started to uh, invite guests or fellow improvisers to play with me in uh, scenes that we Zoom online and we get the suggestions via Facebook. And that's been a lot of fun. A lot of fun. All right. I think we can kind of dive into the meat of this episode. Um, Philip, when you and I were chatting a little bit before we even thought about having you on the show, you recommended a really good movie, Relic. I don't think mm. a lot of people know about this movie, but as we'll all find out, it can be rather divisive. Or okay. you might have been thinking derivative, because based on um, some of your, both of your musings, I think you think it's too, too similar to what's already out there, or, or it was trying to be. Like some other films that are already in the canon. <laughs> uh, that's because it is. And we'll get that. <laughs> Got it. We'll get so, into it. We'll get into it. That's fine. <laughs> Philip, do you want to kind of give some background about this movie? It came out in 2020. Um, like I said, I don't think a lot of people know it's out there, and I blame COVID for that. But... Well, and I think it's probably one of the few films, well, more getting added to the catalog, but it probably was intended for maybe a theatrical release. I don't know its history, but they just thrust it onto streaming platforms when that wasn't a reality. And uh, I think people are just discovering it organically. And I had to warm up to even watching it um, because it didn't have all the hallmarks of a traditional horror film. And I think both of you or one of you might agree that, you know, Horror films have taken a different turn. There's really no traditional horror films anymore, especially with this one. I guess I, I'll just fill in that, you know, so Relic is a Australian film. Uh, the director is Natalie Erica James. Uh, she also co-wrote that uh, the film with Christian White. Uh, but yeah, Philip, if, uh, do you mind just explaining the, a little bit of the story there? Of course. So it stars Emily Mortimer, who I love. She and um, an actress whose name escapes me right now. I apologize. But if you if you know, Bella Heathcote. Yes. Uh, Everybody who acts in this, I think, does a wonderful job. There aren't many characters to begin with, but uh, it all starts with the knowledge of Emily Mortimer's character learning of her mother having disappeared. So she and her daughter go to 
the residence where she lives, and she's nowhere to be found. They take up residence in the home. One day she magically reappears, but uh, Emily Mortimer's character, Kay, is plagued by all these weird nightmares. And upon uh, her mother, Edna's return, all is not what it seems, and we quickly learn that uh, Edna's health is in decline, she suffers from dementia, and it, the movie basically evolves into how should they care for their mother, the problems they're faced with, this mother and daughter team, and uh, ultimately what Edna herself evolves into. And I think to kind of move into a lot of the positive notes for the movie, for me, I think what you just kind of touched on there in the plot was the most poetic and empowering part of this movie. They tackle the development of family struggles in a very raw but yet very fantastic way. The acting is extraordinary and the roles that each one of these women fill I think is very very well done. And I would agree Max that Emily Mortimer who I know from Scream 3 uh <laughs> she uh this is the first time I've really seen her kind of uh command a screen if you will because I'm not really familiar with her credits but she turns up in a lot of things, and this is a time where I really was glued to her performance, and there's just a lot of inner monologue there, uh, which leads me to the next thought that I have is that this movie doesn't really spell out its intentions, and it leaves the viewer with having to figure out or connect the dots on their own. Definitely. And I would say that, that at, at certain points... That is to the film's credit, but I felt like at, at certain points it also maybe ended up giving a, us a, a piece that may be a little bit too vague or, or just a little bit too difficult to parse necessarily the intent. Absolutely. And I think um, for me personally, and I don't know your experience, and I think it would be interesting to dive into, but for me, I think maybe why it might have resonated with me is that I, at one time, lived with a grandparent who suffered from dementia. It was me and an aunt and uncle, and just seeing her, I don't want to say decline, but noticing traits where she just wasn't herself. And if I can give you a little glimmer into my one-man show, I wrote a whole monologue about visiting her at a, at a retirement community and um, we were just there in the common area. Twice during that meeting, she turned to me and said, I am going to kill you. <laughs> so in other words, my one-man show is a barrel of laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> so I imagine having to deal with that with a grandparent whom you love and cherish. I, I put that monologue intentionally in my show because it's so unnerving and so mm. is this movie and i don't know if you guys have any experiences with a grandparent or a parent that yeah that are um, similar yeah de definitely in fact uh in in many ways uh this this film uh, struck a, a really familiar chord um just because i 
couple months ago actually had my grandfather pass away from Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And over the last few years, I've been really kind of working on, on sort of processing, you know, that difficult relationship of, you know, this man is my grandfather, but he's also really not the person I think of as my grandfather. And that's actually been coming out in uh, my writing. Uh, right now I'm actually working on a horror novel that deals with that idea um, and also a haunting. Uh, and so, the, you know, there was there were certain elements that, that were very familiar uh, in this film, you know, even to, to what I'm working on myself. Uh, and I feel like that was, yeah, for sure, kind of where this movie really shined was, you know, as a uh, family drama about trying to navigate this relationship with uh, each other and also with themselves of having to deal with a person who is rapidly changing into, into someone else. Nathaniel and I have talked a lot on this podcast about how the most, the scariest movies that we can watch are ones that tackle real life horror. And I think the, the loss of losing a grandparent, especially to something like dementia, is so traumatizing and so painful for people to go through. And horror as a medium, I think, is an incredible way to kind of have that catharsis and see those very terrifying things that a lot of us experience. Um, and, and again, I, I echo what Nathaniel says. I think this movie kind of blends this idea of losing a loved one to dementia with the supernatural kind of horror aspects to help the narrative explain those emotions. It, it does that very well and very artistic as well. I, I would say that, and and this is also you know something I would say is both kind of a, a check in the positive and the negative. Um, there were times in the film where I I really appreciated that it it really let you kind of stew in the uncomfortableness or just the the kind of the silent moments of trying to process what this relationship now means or what it looks like or or how you can you know react to someone who suddenly you know changes. And, and forgets that they just gave you a thing or whatever. You know, there there are times where that really kind of, I think, empowers the, the viewer to feel the same emotions and kind of go through the same things with these characters. Uh, but unfortunately, there it might have almost been overused at times because I, feel, I felt that there were times where it really drew me into the film and there were times where I kind of got a little bit bored and, and started to lose uh, some of my attention span as well. So... Um, it's a difficult balancing act to kind of have a quiet, contemplative film like this. And sometimes I think it really worked well, and other times it didn't work as well as uh, the director was intending. And I think we can get back to that when we talk a little bit more about the cons, because I felt the same way. There were definitely some parts in the movie where I was almost bored. But let's focus on the positive here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I do kind of want to mention that I, I really enjoyed kind of the art of the movie. And I, I don't know if you two would agree with me, but I felt many of the scenes, there was almost kind of this weird pallid, almost teal lens to it. And it, mm -hmm. it really kind of heightened your senses. It, it made you look for things. It made you mistrust everybody in the movie. That That kind of aesthetic really aided mm -hmm. the plot in some regard i um i would completely agree it was very drab whoever was responsible for the production design i think they really sell it and the home is very drab and then there's the allusions to a property that used to be uh adjacent to the home 
that's even more terrifying that Kay, the daughter, the adult daughter, uh, dreams about that. Th that imagery, I don't know what your feelings are, but the images that she dreams about, I thought were horrifying. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, and I wanted more of that, though. Yes, yes. <laughs> that was the problem, is it, it built up this really, like, dark mythos of this crazy cabin and this family dynamic, and then we just never talked about it, really. <laughs> and mm -hmm. so... But you're right, those scenes really hit those horror buttons and really made you feel unraveled and a little concerned for this family. Uh, another thing that I, I liked was just the, the very like beginning of the film, kind of starting out with the uncomfortableness of trying, like, you know, you, that, that this mother and daughter have, have been brought in basically to help try to figure out where this grandmother has gone by the local police. Uh, and then suddenly, like, they get there and they're like, well, what do we do? And, and, and I liked how that kind of almost made us detectives with them uh, at the beginning mm -hmm. of the film, that it really kind of gave us the opportunity to explore and see them, like, looking at things and, like, why, why is this different? Like, why is the house different? Why is it dirtier than normal? What is going on? Um, you know, not only, you know, to try to figure out where their, the mother slash grandmother has gone, but also to just, you know, simply process like what is going on in her life right now that would make her disappear. And, and so I like that it, it lets you kind of play detective with, with these, uh, characters, but also just, you know, kind of feel overwhelmed by the situation in a way that, that, yeah, like them, there's nothing that you can do until the cops find her or she shows back up, which, you know, she ends up showing back up. Exactly. She does. And, and it's kind of anticlimactic when she, when she shows back up, it's, it's, it's when she returns, it's all the events that happen thereafter that, that are the most disturbing. Speaking of disturbing, I do want to note, I was really, I was really dialed in as soon as the opening credits played because uh, I'm always a fan of allusions to Christmas <laughs> in horror movies. Oh, we are big fans of that as well. <laughs> <laughs> Good, I'm glad to hear it because it opens with a very ominous scene that takes place on or about Christmas and it's just a small fraction of the film, but the music, it's almost like the Jaws score, but it's even slowed down further. And it's, you see Christmas lights and a tree and decor and the mother in the house. Uh, and we're, again, the viewer, you have to see it. I don't want to give spoilers away, but I thought it was a very enticing opening act or, or opening credit sequence, I should say. Well, we talk a lot about on our show how kind of jarring taking something as wholesome and fun and delightsome as Christmas mm -hmm. and then turning it on his head and making it something malicious and almost evil. And I think that is at the core what this movie is talking about is, you know, you have a loved one who is, you know, a paragon of the family, the grandmother. And at the end of life, sometimes these cherished family members are flipped on their heads and they mm -hmm. turn into monsters that you don't, know how to deal with and how horrifying is are those moments and i think max you kind of hit the nail on the head i think that's kind of this movie in a nutshell is the thought of our parents turning into monsters i just 
I just put the finishing touches on my review of this movie for the website I contribute to. So I just want you to know I'm, I'm not stealing any of your ideas, but I'm agreeing with all your thoughts. So uh, I did I did kind of allude to that as well, is that th this director is touching upon something that's very relatable in that we might one day be faced with uh, our parent or, or grandparent, uh, Nathaniel in your case, not being what they used to be and how scary is that mm -hmm. and and also you know that that it's not just about seeing that in our you know loved one but also that we ourselves may go through that is i think the, the truly terrifying mm -hmm. thing you know if, if i had mm -hmm. to say that you know one thing in the world that scares me the most it would be going through dementia or alzheimer's or you know what, whatever variants you you get you know, losing everything I love in my in my mind. Yeah, to me, you know, that is easily more terrifying than a serial killer with a knife. But but then, yeah, the question is how to translate that to uh, a film viewing experience, or in my case, a book. Yes, exactly. And I love that you're taking these themes and and kind of drawing parallels. And you mentioned a haunting, haunting, which I think is real exciting. Uh, I again, it's not traditional, and I say this in my review. It's not if someone is hoping for a Freddie, Jason, or Michael to appear in this, it's not really there. It, it's a very gray area, and I think they attempt to personify what's going on, maybe because a producer said to. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, I think what it does successfully is just remind us that this is something. This is something we're all kind of faced with, whether we're a the victim of dementia or a caregiver that has to deal with an aging parent. Should we maybe move into some of the things we don't love about this movie? Sure. I will die on the hill that I love this movie, but I'm I'm interested to see what you have to say. <laughs> well, and and I like that we do have have kind of a variety of opinions here because I think that really kind of helps you know, give a, a more complete picture of this. Max, do you want to kick us off with your uh, driving analogy? So, this movie, I think the worst part for me is the cinematography, the narrative, how well the acting was. I almost felt um, like this big reveal was coming, and it, the pacing is very, very slow in the beginning up till the grandma comes home and then when she comes home and it's still very slow and so as i'm watching i'm thinking okay this movie's driving at 30 miles an hour mm -hmm. i can it's a nice like through the neighborhood kind of pace <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get to the freeway though and it's gonna pick up to like 70 and something nuts is gonna happen and grandma is possessed or yeah. she's gonna kill the family or something and then we get to the moment and they push on the gas pedal and we go to 35 miles an hour yeah. <laughs> and the movie ends at 35 miles an hour and so I, I i struggle because like we've talked about i think the meaning and the message of this movie is so profound and so universal um and nathaniel i echo your words that i think one of the worst things that can happen to someone is dementia um, seeing your life deteriorate before your eyes. And I just wish the execution of that final message was a little bit more pronounced. I, I, in some regard, I kind of felt like I wasted a lot of my time because 
the reveal, the lead up, the big finale kind of didn't do anything. Well, and along those lines, I, I, I think, you know, when we look at, at why that didn't work for you, and I agree, like, I, I feel like my experience is fairly similar. To me, I felt like the, the movie in the first half was making certain kinds of promises by the types of horror tropes and things like that that it was playing with. You know, there there were a lot of elements that felt very familiar, you know, especially, you know, w- when it was giving us the really creepy dream sequences that were kind of showing us the, the past and the, the, you know, the, the creepy cabin that you were talking about, Phil. You know, all of those were some of the, the scariest things in the movie, but I don't feel like the payoff was what those were promising me. And to to kind of butt in here, Nathaniel, I think a lot of those kind of moments that made us recognize this as maybe a good horror movie called back to movies such as Rosemary's Baby and Hereditary and kind of these slower paced movies that are incredibly intriguing. And the like I mentioned, the aesthetic of the movie makes you believe that something horrifying is on its way. Right. And I, I, I'll i say this. It, it, I, I agree with you, uh, Max, that it does kind of harken back to a Rosemary's Baby type film. I think in recent years we've been conditioned to expect a big CGI reveal or something at the conclusion of a movie of this sort. And I was kind of pleased or relieved that it didn't and the ending i thought was very symbolic and i don't even want to give away the details of it because i'd almost rather your listeners see it for themselves and make their own deductions i was just gonna say and to clarify i i wasn't looking for some cgi monster right, some right. demon possession or anything like that <laughs> right I, I mean i'm always looking for demonic possession but yes <laughs> i was let down I think, okay. like Nathaniel mentioned, the, the narrative and the plot kind of was expecting you to, or kind of was aiding you in thinking that the grandma, something darker was happening. And yes. it gets into my, my next point, is I felt the movie was very pretentious, mm-hmm. because I think the creators of the movie were like, oh, we've got this damn good idea, this message speaks to everyone. And we're just going to, you know, metaphorically drop the mic. And if you don't get it, you're not as smart as us. And again, I just, uh, at the end, I I didn't care. I I didn't Mm -hmm. feel any sort of compassion or loss with the main characters. I don't know. And maybe it's because I don't have a ton of life experience with losing a grandparent or seeing someone go through dementia. And that's totally fair. But again, I don't think the ending of the movie was worth the mm-hmm. 60 minutes to get there. I don't love how this movie was executed. I think it could have been done so much better. Well, and I, I, I think it's interesting to know that I, I wonder, is this biographical in a sense because the director also co-wrote it and is she speaking to something that she lived through herself? And I regret that I don't know her credits as well as i should that that is actually something i can uh speak to because i i listened to uh an interview uh with her Mm -hmm. pretty recently uh and she she 
did say that that is uh, something that is uh, something that's been significant in her life. Uh, you okay. know, having to deal with, I think it was a parent in her case, you know, who who uh, dealt with dementia. I guess to to fill it in even more, um, she also did a short film that was kind of almost more of a proof of concept that ended up re- uh, resulting in her making this feature length film. Uh, so the short film, uh, which you could actually watch on YouTube, it's like I don't know, ten minutes long. It's called Cresswick. It it definitely has a very similar feel, uh, but basically. The the idea of it is just this daughter comes home to visit her, you know, middle-aged father, and um, he keeps working on these chairs. Um, you know, he's, he's a, a woodworker of some sort, and, and he keeps, like, getting lost in his work, but maybe, like, more so, like, like, he keeps forgetting to eat and stuff like that, and so she keeps bringing him food, and she's mm-hmm. like, hey, like, you don't usually not come and eat he's like oh i'm just really into this project and then then basically we have this uh experience of of her in the middle of the night she she hears this very frightening alarming noise coming from his um woodworking studio so she runs out um and sees that like it looks like he has just left tool on that is just like spinning this piece of wood and it's just you know, clattering and making tons of noise and she turns it off and then, like, goes back inside her house and her dad is there. And he's like, oh, you're not leaving, are you? Like, what? why are you leaving so early? And she's like, oh, no, I, I'm not leaving. I'm just, just coming in. And like, good. And then he mm. turns around and then he, we see this dark, shriveled creature on his back that is, mm-hmm. you know, kind of symbolically showing that he is, you know, has dementia or is, is starting mm-hmm. to, to go down that route. And so, you know, this is definitely something that this director has been kind of playing with the idea of for a while and so this is kind of a a bigger version of that same kind of concept along those lines though um and and i and i say that this is probably true of both the short film and the feature-length film relic to me i would say my my biggest issue um is this idea of uh working on a metaphorical level but not a literal level so I I felt like the the things that that I was being promised in the first half of this movie was this idea that there is this sinister like entity there's a sinister force and it's not just dementia but rather there is something else to it but then by the end of the film what we're given is basically just accepting the dementia you know accepting that it is a reality and and that you know this daughter needs to still love and accept her mother, even though her mother is different now, and that she herself will someday probably have the same thing. And and to me, like that was very beautiful on a like person dealing with real life dementia level. But to me, it didn't really work on the literal level in the film because, like the the mother, like and you know we're getting into spoiler territory, but you know she transforms into this, like, dark, kind of shriveled figure, which is, it looks very similar to, to what they had in the, in that short film. And, and you know, the daughter, you know, helps her actually look the way that she, that she does now, this, this kind of monstrous form, and then lies down next to her, and, you know, after carrying her and, and taking care of her. And, like, that was beautiful to me, but it didn't... But, like, to me, that wasn't something that was literally happening in the film. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was a, a symbol for what, you know, of her acceptance. But to me, I don't feel like I actually saw what the real resolution was. 
because I just saw the symbol of the uh, resolution. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think there was a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of a tonality where everything could be a dream. I mean, the thing that I appreciated is that they, uh, the mother and daughter, end up within the confines or this maze of rooms in the middle of the house that, uh, I assume is how the mother got lost in the first place. Yeah. So again, it's like you 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 ask yourself as a viewer, what's real, what's not? Is this really happening? And I think, again, I think maybe that's where it may be underwhelming. Um, in that it's nothing's really clear. There, you can't really. Uh, there's no strong, literal uh, points that it makes. And I, I, I agree with both of you, but I think there is a way to do it. it, it there is a way to tell the story in a metaphor kind of a sense, but also through cinema. And I think, uh, Philip, Nathaniel, and I joke quite a bit that we're hereditary, we're just a hereditary okay. fanboy podcast. Um, okay. But the movie Hereditary tackles a lot of these same issues in a different way. Uh, you have a, a grandma who was rather unknown and no one really knew who she was. She passes away, mom starts to kind of unravel and fall apart, and the daughter dies, and there's a lot of these same dynamics that are going on in Relic. And then at the end of the movie, we, we learn it's about demonic possession and, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But the demon that they're summoning, summoning in particular is Paimon, who happens to be a god of wisdom, uh, a god who knows things all past, present, and future. And that demon ultimately possesses someone in the family line and and so i i see kind of these parallels of relic is talking about you know accepting your fate and learning from your older generation and understanding that 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 is a part of you but i think hereditary does it a little bit better in a, a more horrific kind of a way that is still palatable in some regard and I want to ask you, because I understand and I agree that um, something that kind of tackles this topic more head on is, uh, I understand you're uh, a fan of The Taking of Deborah Logan. Correct. Yeah, and, and that movie is, uh, the ending gets a little crazy. It's a lot like Insidious, where 80% mm -hmm. of it is gorgeous and beautiful, and then the ending happens, you're like, wait, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I really like Taking of Deborah Logan because, again, it, it melds the idea of dementia and horror and keeps you guessing throughout the entire movie until, of course, the end. But you are detectives along with the film crew in the movie mm -hmm. trying to determine, okay, are we dealing with the loss of a loved one or are we dealing with something supernatural? Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day maybe they're kind of the same thing. Yeah. You know, losing a loved one, I think, is probably one of the most horrifying things people can go through. And sometimes the definition of supernatural should fit there. You know, that those moments of pain and suffering are in some regard supernatural. Well, and I will, taking you back to my lovely monologue from my show, <laughs> I would agree that something possessed my grandmother at that point. Maybe it's very easy for demonic presences to overtake a person who is suffering from dementia <laughs> and turn to their grandson and tell them that they're going to murder them. 
I know a lot of demonic lore and people <laughs> with dementia are open targets. I was, so. and again, so yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> I swear my show's a comedy. I mean, I get. <laughs> You're just capturing the, the, the whole of human uh, experience. There's, there's, there's yes. highs and lows. And... There's, yeah, that was a low. To kind of wrap it up, I know I feel like I'm like just vomiting over this movie. I, I agree with what we said at the beginning of this episode, that there is a lot of pathos in the movie and a lot of catharsis that can be done. I think my biggest issue with it, though, is I've noticed um, last few months I've watched a lot of horror movies that have felt like they're trying to replicate kind of the airy aster type of a mm-hmm. movie um midsummer and hereditary are two of some of the most perfect horror movies in my mind mm-hmm. and they've done very well as far as movies go and so i think a lot of these new directors and producers and writers are trying to mimic that um, relic the amulet i just watched la llorona last night on mm-hmm. shutter all of these movies are very dark and ominous and the aesthetics are gorgeous and the story is a very slow burn. And then they try and make some sort of horror punch mm-hmm. and it just doesn't hit. And I, I think Relic was kind of the first movie that I saw recently that kind of made me say, whoa, this feels like a hereditary, but it's coming off as like a M. Night Shyamalan The Visit kind of a movie yes um and i i was disappointed and i don't know would you guys agree do you feel like there's this kind of fad going on right now where we have to be poetic and kind of create these bigger movies than they we think they are well i i agree that uh you're right filmmakers are probably trying to aspire to uh an ari aster type of aesthetic I, i totally agree with you and I guess, and I won't argue it anymore, I think that's why I appreciated uh, Relic, because it didn't do what I either a hoped it would or I expected it to. It didn't just fit the mold. So mm-hmm. that's why I think I came mm-hmm. away from it going, huh, this is a little bit different. No, I, I think that is a, a really good point, that sometimes simply subverting uh, our expectations can be enough to really have a have a good experience with a, a piece of entertainment, or it can sour it. To to address your question directly, Max, um, you know, yeah, I would say that right now we kind of have a renaissance of art horror. Is is kind of what a lot of the critics uh, are referring to yeah. it as, and mm, that's a great term, great term. And and to me, like that's not a bad thing. You know, if 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 you're going to try to be Ari Aster, like yeah, like who wouldn't want to to be making movies like him? I think he's a tremendous uh, visionary in terms of you know he's going to have a, a big impact on the the future of horror. The the interesting thing is that I think that horror has always had these kinds of movies present. It's just that right now, because of the success of things like Hereditary and Midsummer, and even you know the the work of Jordan Peele the public is paying more attention to these kind of art house horror films. And so we're hearing about them more when, you know, they, they were, there's plenty of them all throughout all of time. It's just that right now 
this is when the spotlight is shining on them even more so than it ever has before. So yeah, these kinds of, of slow contemplative stories have always been part of horror film. It's just that they tend to not necessarily have the same cultural impact as a slasher that gets, you know, a gazillion people to go see it because it's, you know, it's fun to to watch a a dude chase, you know, people, bikini clad babes uh, with a machete. You know, that, 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 that's what people do for fun. These movies aren't necessarily about having fun with it. And so it, and and so to me, like this this wasn't necessarily trying to be Ari Aster. It was trying to be art house horror. Ari Aster's just the the best example of that. All right, should we move into rating this sweet little movie? Yes, sure, I'm game. Okay, so um, uh, just a uh, refresher for anyone who has not listened, or you know, for the benefit of our guest here. So uh, everything is on a ten scale, uh, one to ten. Ten being perfect one being could pass on it um or it but but we yeah break it up into screams and crowns so screams are how scary the film is on a one to ten scale uh crowns are uh how good of a film it is um just you know kind of looking at the the merit of it being a movie so uh to kick us off max uh what where would you put it on the scream scale i gave it a one because <laughs> I was bored. I was not scared. Even with the transformation of the grandma, even with the cabin, again, it was all very beautiful, very poetic. Yeah, I was not spooked in the slightest. <laughs> um, well, I'm going to give it a three on screen. I did feel like some of the, the dream sequence stuff, especially like around the, the cabin and the grandfather that you know had dementia dying alone and and some of that 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 kind of spooked me and also just simply just the idea of dementia is scary to me in general so i gave it a three um i think it would have been higher if it focused even more on just simply like what uh, of, of some of the those unnerving moments of someone having dementia along the lines of what you know the the story that you shared phil I gave it a four, and I think um, there really aren't any jarring, um, what are those called, jump scare moments in the film. It, for me, was one of those movies that stick with you long after you've seen it, Mm -hmm. to the point where, you know, I'm always kind of looking into dark corners and wondering what's there lurking. Um, So I gave it a four in that regard. All right, so then moving on to crowns, Max, what did you give it? I gave it a three. Um, There's no question about how I feel about this movie. Um, It was a beautiful movie. The message is very universal. I just think the execution really pulled the rug out from underneath it, and I just felt like it could have been so much more and so better executed. Uh, Follow-up to that, then. Would you say that, is it just a three just simply as a horror movie or as a movie in general? As a horror movie, that's a good point to denote here, Nathaniel. I I think I would rate it maybe a five or a six as a piece of cinema. Uh, the acting was beautiful. The, the cinematography was beautiful. Um, it is a good movie, but we are a horror movie podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just think that, yeah, with, with this kind of horror, it, it might be good to kind of 
differentiate that. Yeah, so uh, as far as crowns go, for me, I'm giving it a six, but a lot of that is coming more from the yeah caliber of the filmmaking itself and the you know kind of emotional impact of the story and things like that. But yeah, as as a horror movie that you know really speaks to me as a horror fan, this particular film I would probably end up ranking it a little bit lower. But but yeah, six overall I'd say just in terms of being a well constructed movie. I uh, gave it another solid four, <laughs> and it and it kind of does beg the question because I think it does walk a fine line, and you've already touched upon it. Is this a can we can we compartmentalize this as a horror film or is it something else i definitely would agree with nathaniel he has in our show notes that it is a horror movie at its core i think how it's presented it does speak to me on a horror level mm-hmm. i think it could have been marketed more as a drama piece and i would have approached it differently mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, this is a family drama first and a horror movie second. But it needs to be a horror movie. It needs to have the trappings of horror movies in order for this piece to be anything. You know, otherwise it's just a really bizarre family drama that doesn't make any sense. You know, the the horror language that it uses, for for lack of a better term, um, is what allows the story to be told. So it's it's a family drama using the language of horror. All right, let's talk about how we're staying spooky, other than living in a COVID world. <laughs> um, this segment, Phil, we like to just kind of let our listeners know how we're engaging in the horror genre still, even outside of horror movies, because horror is so much more than just, you know, slasher movies. Uh, so for me, I have wanted to dive into the world of Dungeons and Dragons ever since I was a nerdy little boy. Um, and well, it is Satan's game. Ago, it is, as I cross myself with his upside down star, his pentagram. Really? It's, <laughs> I didn't know that. Satan's game? <laughs> Satanic panic. Satanic panic, yeah. It was considered like this evil game because, you know, it was dealing with uh, magic. And, and... Wow. I mean, I, I do play a character um, who's possessed by one of the demon lords of hell, so... <laughs> Excellent. Um, but I'm actually starting my own campaign with Nathaniel, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about it in our future episodes, but it is all about vampires and this vampire lord who's trapped, and I've had a ton of fun today even just inventing of these spooky vampiric monsters, like a dire spider, you know? You always hear dire wolf or dire birds but never a dire spider so um (laughs) my nerd level has reached 12 today um excellent yeah but the nerd energy is big at my house (laughs) nathaniel how are you staying spooky uh i'm staying spooky by reading uh, a new line of comics from dc uh they basically decided to start a horror imprint called hill house comics which is I think both a, a nod to the great Shirley Jackson, but also a nod to uh, the person who's running it, uh, Joe Hill, uh, the son of, son of Stephen King, who is uh, a great horror writer in his own regard. Um, and so I've read two volumes of Hill House comics. Uh, I got to read some of the fun advanced copies. The first one was called A Basket Full of Heads, which was written by Joe Hill, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. Uh, it was 
very kind of like teen slashery, but with a, a fun uh, supernatural bent where this main character, she has to, you know, fend off people who are attacking her, uh, but she ends up cutting off their heads with an axe and then uh, has been, then proceeds to carry the heads around because they keep talking to her. So it's a lot of fun. I, I really like that one a lot. Yeah, for this uh, line of comics, they've been, you know, recruiting a whole bunch of different horror writers. I, one I haven't read yet was uh, by the guy who wrote Girl with All the Gifts. Um, but then the second one I read was, it was called The Low, Low Woods, which is written by Carmen Maria uh, Mikado, who's also a pretty uh, big up-and-comer in the horror genre, just uh, with her literature. but. That one is basically a piece where these uh, two girls wake up uh, at the end of a movie. You know, they were at, at the movies and they both just apparently fell asleep. But, like, things are wrong. Like, their shoes are tied in a way that they wouldn't have tied them. And, you know, they, it's clear that something happened that made them forget this last couple of hours. And so one of them just doesn't want to know what happened, but the other one has to know and is starts investigating to see what's going on. Uh, and, you know, it has impacts for their, their whole town. So um, both of those were really fun. Um, I, I am looking forward to getting into even more of the Hill House comics uh, because comics are my jam. Horror's my jam. Joe Hill is my jam. Like, it's just kind of Your my, jam? my, yeah, my thing. And no matter how you slice it. You've given you've you've given me inspiration because now I want to check this out. Uh, <laughs> Hill House Comics. I'm a I don't know if it's if it's wrong to say, but I I'm a DC guy. Are you guys Marvel or DC proponents? I'm, I'm Marvel. Okay, so that's fine. I I <laughs> well, Nathaniel is a little bit of both, but he leans more DC. Okay. Well, yeah. So I I am Excellent. DC yeah, I as far as the comics go, but as far as movies go, I I tend to lean more towards the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Well, are if you have me on again right now, I don't know. I think DC's trying to redeem themselves, and I won't. Uh, well, let's save that for another podcast because yeah. I know they're trying to up their game. So. Yeah, they they um, seem to be moving in in a good direction. Finally. Well, as for me, I know I mentioned my one man show. Right now, I'm uh, working with a director to have Philoween three, the final girl, stream this October. Uh, I haven't solidified a definite date yet, but if your listeners are interested, they should probably check me out first on Facebook. If you type in Philoween or Philoween a one man show, it should come up pretty easily and it's there that i'll post any events related to that uh streaming event there okay well i think that pretty much wraps up uh what we have going on uh but where can people find you other than facebook and, and looking up philoween or you know what, what are what are all your handles for the internet so people can hit oh you god up? there's so many oh my gosh all right settle in no, uh, Facebook, as I mentioned, uh, at Twitter, I'm at Philoween Show. Uh, my website is philoween.com. On Insta, I'm at P, my first initial, and then my last name, which is F-A-I-S-S. And YouTube, which I'm really pretty active at, um, you can search the handle Ghost Directive. 
and uh, you'll find me there. And lastly, I think I mentioned it already, but my book, uh, Philoween, is also available on Amazon. Okay, if that is the end, then everyone, stay spooky. Stay spooky. Thank you all. Stay spooky. I had a blast. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at ScreamKingsPodcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to Patreon.com forward slash Scream Kings. Stay spooky.